for listening to the Folk Podcast. If you would like to become more involved with the Wisdom of Odin community, please think about donating to Patreon. At the lowest tier, you gain access to our community Discord. Uh, the next tier, you gain access to live streams. And of course, at the final tier, you gain early access videos, as well as your name in the end credits for all Wisdom of Odin videos. Thank you so much for watching, and thank you so much for whatever support you're able to provide. Hello, my name is Jacob, and welcome to episode 29 of the Folk Podcast. So we have another guest on today that came from our emails, and if you are interested in being on the Folk Podcast, this is how you do it. You just send us an email at thefolkpodcast at gmail.com. Um, that's all lowercase, thefolkpodcast at gmail.com, and that gives you an opportunity to be on the show. We review it once a month, and we decide who gets on here. So today we have Austin, and he was asking us questions about um, animals and signs and visions and things like that, but we also wanted to bring him in on the conversation. But before then, Austin, go ahead and introduce yourself. Um, and tell everyone about yourself. Hi, I'm Austin. I've been a Norse pagan for probably about under a year now. Um, like a lot of people, I was raised in a pretty Christian household. And then as I kind of grew up, I became agnostic, atheist. I kind of tried Buddhism for a little bit. And then, yeah, just in this past year, I kind of found uh, just the Norse mythologies and the stories and everything that happened. And it just sort of made a lot of sense to me. Um, and the main reason that I really wanted to be on this podcast was to share the story that I've had for, you know, I've been carrying with me for like 20 years now. Um, and so basically when I was growing up, we, I grew up in Arizona and we didn't have a lot of money. So a lot of our, uh, vacations or just weekend trips were a lot of camping. So on this one particular camping trip, I went up to Northern Arizona with my, all sides of my family. And, you know, one day we were out just in the woods, kind of hiking through. And all of a sudden we saw just this huge herd of elk just in the distance. And we all kind of, you know, crouched down and try not to spook them or anything like that. And me being, I must've been like four or five years old, I think, kind of started getting, you know, further away from my family and going closer and closer to this group of, you know, elk, this huge herd. And I finally ended up behind a tree and I kind of peeked around it and there was this bull elk, which is, you know, a six foot, 700 pound animal within like, I could reach out and touch its, its nose if I wanted to. And I remember picking up a blade of grass and holding it out to it. And it just kind of being very close to me and sniffing it. And then it kind of, you know, turned around and went on its way. And that has always had just a lasting impression on me you know, about nature and animals and just our interaction with them as humans. And I've always had that story, that experience in the back of my mind for, you know, 20 some odd years. But when I started down this path, I, I remembered that story and something just really clicked in me. It was a lot of, that meant something. That was a very early sign from, you know, someone or something. And the more I thought about it, you know, I don't know who it was, what it was specifically. I've been thinking a lot about Ike Frenier a lot recently, just him in the mythology and things like that. I remember, you know, after that camping trip, I went back to school and I was so excited to tell all my friends. And I kept referring to, instead of calling it an elk, I kept saying elf for whatever reason. And so, you know, just thinking about that, I was like, I don't know, maybe that, maybe that was something, there's something behind that. But that's kind of the, the main reason I wanted to be on this podcast and get that story out there, because it's, I feel really comfortable in this community, even though I haven't really talked to a lot of people, but I've, you know, been following a lot of Instagram pages, I've been listening to this podcast, and it's, it's a very welcoming community, and so I wanted to put that story out there, so people could kind of relate to it or understand and just you know basically a judgment-free story where it's not you know shut down from other people or anything like that I think that's one of the more beautiful things about the pagan community and something I, uh, I actually start a lot of gatherings with um, is if it's people's first time there, they, you know, they haven't, you know, they haven't really ever been around other pagans, let alone, you know, 20 of them. And I'm like, Hey, by the way, don't be worried. Like we are all really weird. Uh, Cause I, you know, I spend the majority of the weekend like covered in head to toe and like bones and face paint and stuff like that. And it's like, 
it's okay. And I think yeah. that's one of the coolest things. Um, actually, you know, interesting enough, it's coming up on a year anniversary on the first gathering we ever had. And I remember, I mean, just the excitement of being able to share the stories without fear of any kind of judgment, without, you know, fear of them being like, whoa, this is a little weird. Like, I don't know. And and I uh, I find that I definitely miss that when I talk to the normies out there and they're like, they just don't get it. <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> uh, Co-host, do we have any questions for Austin? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's always interesting. Well, not really a, a question, but more of like a, a comment to kind of tie on that. Um, I've always had like a weird connection with animals in that kind of sense where I've, you know, gone to a person's house and they've had like a dog or a cat or something, you know, just an animal in general. And they're like, oh, they don't really like people or they're very skittish around like strangers and et cetera. And within, you know, like five minutes or so, it's just like, oh, hey, this is like, this is my dog or this is my cat now kind of a thing. Um, and it, it's crazy to hear stories like that, especially with wild animals, like especially something so massive and so big too, that it definitely, like just listening to it, like I was just like kind of envisioning it, like if I was in that perspective or anything like that. And it's just, it's amazing to hear stories like that because there's, yeah, tons of them out there of people having like these crazy experiences with wild animals like that, where they're just so close and there's very just, you know, relaxed or they, you know, it's, oh, it's just awesome. I just wanted to drop that little comment on there. Yeah, I, I think that with you know concerning just us as humans and like even our ancestors like we there's been that relationship with you know animals and from the very beginning like that's kind of you know the earliest caveman whatever they got along with you know they kind of they learned to tame wolves and wild dogs and it was a benef beneficial relationship sort of thing and so you know that's something obviously we've definitely carried into this modern day obviously we're not out there you know taming wild wolves anymore but I understand what you mean where it's you kind of have some people have more of that connection with animals more than humans sort of thing yeah yeah definitely I always say that I prefer the company of my dogs than most people 90% of the time yeah. <laughs> well something that I was going to bring up too is I also feel like um you know, part of getting into nature and, you know, d disconnecting from the modern world is connecting to the, um, you know, the undomesticated, like it's wonderful to have dogs. It's, you know, as my cat was just on my shoulder, like a parrot, you know, we, we love these domesticated animals, but they, you know, also are not wild. They aren't truly connected to the wild anymore. And so to see something like elk just out in the natural environments out there, I think there's something truly special. In fact, I think um, it was Freya Nordling in one of her videos was talking about how like, the, the moment that we see the gods is the stillness before like elk or reindeer um, mm. like move and it's when they're sitting still and then they just like go like that is where we actually truly see the gods and then you know that's actually always always really stuck with me um, and I think that's really true you know of experiencing something in the wild is especially in our modern world we're not used to seeing it and so it's it's truly something magical <clears throat> well yeah uh, I, I would just add like animals do uh, play an important role especially like like where I work in the woods, I, I'm constantly coming across deer or different types of birds, eagles, hawks, stuff like that. Uh, even uh, cowbirds. I don't know if any of y'all have ever seen or know about cowbirds. Like they are very interesting. Like you cannot really catch or kill them. It's hard to. Uh, they'll go and they'll follow like behind the machine I run. Like it like I'm a dog chasing the insects out for them to eat. They see me as a way to get food. And it's very interesting to see how we interact with animals. Uh, it's, it's like you said, Jacob, going back to that primal uh, state of being or whatever, where the first man was going out of the cave and, or going out to the world and, you know, having to interact with, much bigger beast than what we do today there's something we've lost in a modern society with uh, i've had a few things with um with deer like obviously i think everybody's heard the story of, like of george um and like how how the whole thing came about like how i how i finally took my first book um but other than that the like the animal that i honestly feel like the most connected with is i honestly probably uh, cardinals just those little red birds um, I've had a lot of stuff come up since you, um, with where I've connected with my ancestors. And it seems like every time I try to, I try to uh, contact them or speak with them or anything like that, a cardinal always shows up and it follows me around. I just can't, can't escape it. I don't know how else to explain. 
So Austin, to bring it back to you a little bit, um, just to explore a little bit more on your practice. So you said you've been doing this for a little, little under a little more than a year. Um, so what does your, you know, pra- practice kind of look like right now? You know, I mean, we're very far removed from that first elk experience. So um, what, yeah. does it, what does it look like now? Uh, so now it's just, honestly, it's a lot of like reading and just getting those sources, basically kind of something that I've always from very early on with this practice is um, basically just absorbing as much information as I can and trying to basically not pick and choose, but wade through, you know, what's a common theme throughout everything and kind of taking in other aspects of, you know, different paganism right now. I'm very interested in Celtic paganism and things like that. Um, When I was kind of revisiting that elk experience I had, I got really into, I can never remember. Yeah. I can never remember how to say his, his name, but he's a Celtic god, he's horn god, it's like Serunus, or it, I can't, I forget how to actually pronounce it, but him, the, just the imagery and everything like that, it's, I've been drawn to, but yeah, right now it's a lot of, like I said, just a lot of taking in information. Um, recently I moved into a new place, so I still have to basically like sage the whole space and give offerings and thanks and things like that, but it's kind of just a lot of daily life things. You know, I always keep the gods in the back of my mind and the spirits and the ancestors. And, you know, I always have my meal near around my neck and things like that. And so they're always, they're always in the back of my mind. They're always there. Um, relating with that and towards animals that I wanted to talk about was I like, it's, it was an earlier podcast that you guys were talking about where, you know, you talk about signs relating to animals and something that I always think about is, you know, you see crows and ravens and obviously those, you know, Odin's related to those things. And yeah, you might, not every crow or raven or anything you see is going to be Odin himself or anything like that. But at the same time, it's like, we don't know for certain, at least how I view it. Like, yeah, that ra- that huge raven might not be Odin himself or, you know, one of his ravens or anything like that. But because there is that difference between humans and animals, that kind of archaic primeval connection that we have, we don't know for certain that it isn't. That's kind of how I view a lot of like the wild animals that I see that, you know, kind of I notice or peek out to me sort of thing. I've got, I've got to ask, so like usually when I, I hear stories of people having like a really interesting animal connection like with your elk the first thing I always want to ask is are you feel more do you feel more drawn to like the Vanir gods and things like that because it's so nature-based and orientated just out of curiosity see and honestly I there I don't I don't think I have a huge connection to any Vanir currently which honestly when I look back at like how I grew up it's very odd almost that I don't like, I would say that signs from, you know, maybe Tyr or Frey kind of brought me into this. And then I started gravitating more towards Odin, just with his knowledge seeking and things like that. But, like, I grew up very, like, outdoorsy, basically. My dad is a huge outdoorsman. And so it was a lot of hunting and fishing and just kind of... Where I grew up was also a very huge Native American population. And so very early on was distilled in me that sort of like respect for nature and you know any anything you hunt or fish like you're doing it not so much for sport but all but kind of you want to use basically as much of that animal as you can and it's like you're kind of thanking that animal which I you know to this day I, I agree with like I don't do as much hunting or fishing as I used to when I was a kid but it's always something that I'm thinking about for you know, animals that this is kind of, this is their planet and we're just here. Like we have to share this space and make a good environment for them as well. That's something that I've always kept in my mind is that respect for animals and any parts that we get from them after hunting is sacred almost, I would say. So yeah, I don't have much experience hunting, um, but you know, it's it's really interesting the connection that a lot of pagans seem to have over things like bones uh, and dead things. Um, and I think maybe it is that connection that we don't want things to, you know, to go unnoticed and wasted. You know, 
most bones get, you know, just kind of discarded and left behind, but we can turn them into something different. You know, even in death, um, we make things, you know, have new life or have new meaning. I mean, I'm sh looking at a, a fox pelvis, deer antlers, uh, deer jaw, cow knuckle, like, I don't know. And it's interesting. I'm always like, well, what can I repurpose this as? I mean, I know, um, you know, one of the future podcasts we're going to do is on these uh, craftsmen in the community um, that make, you know, things out of like deer bones and things like that. And, you know, we got Ian's over here looking like a Wolverine with all of his bones. Um, but yeah, making things like drums. Oh, now we got antlers. Yeah, we, we all have a lot of bones and it seems like we like them a lot. Uh, so, you know, re you know, making sure that, you know, death is just a door and, you know, the, the spirit of whatever makes us us and whatever makes an elk elk is, you know, has left and gone to the next world as, you know, but what is left behind can be still used. Um, and now Baker, can you talk about hunting? Yes. Um, yeah, sorry about that. But the, I think one of the, the most important things, especially about trying to use every part of the animal is not only just honoring it, but as far as looking on, looking to it at the spiritual side of it, you can in a way attempt to take on like the, um, trying to think what the word is for it, the, um, the characteristics of the animals like what they stand for and what they uh, what they embody like with deer like the thing with antlers i always get a, a big thing of nobility especially from the antlers there's just something majestic about them um there's just that especially whenever you see the big giant buck just like the set of antlers i've got here in my hands sorry they're hitting the table but there's just something you know it just screams power and you know like i don't know status or something like that to me well, we were talking about like Saranus or Saranus. Um, we're all yeah. going to butcher that, but um, you know, isn't it a horn god? Yeah, the horn god. And I honestly, I don't know that much about him, but I've always been kind of drawn to them. And or, and I know that maybe that's probably why I'm, I'm moving closer to Freyr, because it's like I'm finally wearing like I've got an amulet specifically for Freyr now um, that I've been wearing a lot recently. Um, but I've always been drawn to like the horn god, and Freyr is like our version of that. So I'm working on figuring more out about that. Um, so something I actually wanted to bring up um, is that interesting we brought up the, about the Vonir is connecting to the Vonir out in nature and things like that. Interestingly enough, if you actually break them down, they're actually more domesticated forces than they are wild forces. Because if you look at Skadi, is a Jotun, isn't a Vanir. She eventually marries a Vanir, but doesn't like living with him. And so she's a wild deity, I would say. And then even someone like Uller, um, far as I know, is not a Vanir. He is a is a an Aesir god. Um, and so, and he is also the god of a wild, the, the hunt and things like that. But then you look at Frere. Frere is more of actually the god of, you know, um, like fields and crops and things like that. Um, Freya, while well, Vanir, yes, is tied to beautiful things. And, you know, personally, I tire to things like honeybees and, you know, roses and things like that. But I still wouldn't call her a wild deity in that sense. Um, and then, you know, someone like uh, Njord, you know, Njord is the god of the coast, you know, and helps fishermen and things like that. He isn't actually the god of the sea, where the gods of the sea are actually Jotun. And so it's very interesting that, you know, um, the Vanir, yes, are seen as these nature deities, but I would, I would argue that they are not actually wild nature deities. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Now that you're telling like, did you kind of point that out? Um, yeah, it seems like those deities that are primarily Jotun are the ones that are more of like the wilds. Like you were saying, like Scotty is Jotun. Um, yeah, Egir and, and Ron are Jotun, and those are your your sea gods and goddess, of, you know, of more of a wild nature and, and, and that ferocity that is nature itself. Um, I guess I never actually really thought of that. Yeah, whereas like you have Freyr and Freya are, yeah, like you said, more of a domesticated version of nature, kind of like that, almost like the, like we were talking about earlier with that, that start with humans working together with nature side by side kind of thing like that's like that part of it of the blending between wild and domesticated in a, in a sense i guess so um one thing that's interesting is the um combination of the domesticated and the undomesticated so i was just recently with family and um my uncle who's actually appeared in videos before and i've mentioned before as well um he works at a stockyard and you know takes care of cattle and he talks, we were talking about it actually just today about how that connects him to something deeper because you actually get to see the life, you know, the actual life cycle of these, you know, these cow because he usually ends up, you know, taking care of them for well over a year as they mature. 
Um, and, you know, and even, you know, talks about like, you know, the husbandry part of it, you know, you know, mating different cows together, um, of course, the feeding cycles and how they all have different personalities and things like that. Um, and it's like, so you can learn just as many things from, you know, a domesticated animal as you can from the wild animal, but they are going to be different. Um, and I think that's, you know, with the Vanir, um, especially you look at something like, um, you know, Frere, you know, you might call to him more in that situation of the cattle, you know, in the situation of husbandry and things like that. Um, you know, and so I, it's very interesting. And, you know, the Vanir, I would see would be called to more frequently, whereas we see the Jotun is a little bit more sparse. And you even see that in the Jotun deities as well. Like, you know, Uller from, you know, what I've been, what little I've been able to find about him has never been like overly positive. It's always that he's very, you know, reclusive, that he's very, you know, like kind of sticks to himself um, and doesn't really like people like the city folk, it seems like, but there's so little information. This is usually just like, I think it was like the Tales of Norse mythology. Um, she talks about like a lot about Uller and I'm just like, how, where did you get all this information? I think I talked about it in my Gods of Winter video, um, but it seems like from her perspective, you know, an educated perspective that he was a little bit more, uh, hard to get up, you know, hard to work with. Whereas Frere, you know, we know is actually one of the deities at least recorded that was, um, you know, stored at, had a main idol in Uppsala along with um, Thor and Odin. So, you know, definitely more of a, a deity you would look to more often than necessarily the wilds. You know, now that you mentioned that, Jacob, it makes sense because, well, Ian, you, you've met Uller and or discovering Uller uh, on Instagram. And then you look at, compare her to Parker it's a night and day difference. Lindsay is way, or Uller, Uller is way more wild than Parker is. And, you know, you just talking about that and, you know, I think with animalism and, and just the different deities that work with nature, if you do have one as a patron or you work with one more, you might take on those characteristics of those gods more, if that makes any sense. I can definitely confirm that. I'm sure me and Jacob both can as far as like uh, the wandering with Odin. I mean, 100%. So Austin, to wrap you back into this a little bit here. Um, so as uh, far as like the elk go, do you have you thought about incorporating those in, into your personal like ritual practice and things like that? And, you know, we talked about bones, maybe get some elk bones and stuff like that. I've been, I've been, I would say I've been trying to find it, but honestly, I think just, because one of the other necklaces I have is a, uh, it's a deer antler with the uh, Ansu's rune on it, just because something about it kind of really, I would say, called to me almost. It's, it's weird when I think about it because with that whole elk story and everything, and I don't know, I kind of think about, I think about Odin when I think about like the deer, elk, but if you look at stories and all the other accounts, there's never really been a. Um, like a description that he's related to either of those animals mostly you know the, obviously the wolves and the ravens and things like that um but yeah i think that bones especially like you guys were talking about is just an important part in the ritual practice because like you guys said it, it connects it connects us to something i would say that's more than us and almost like an ancient sort of feel i would say here's a thought game for us all so i find that the majority of us probably would agree that at least in recent history there's never been beings that have walked the earth that look like the gods and have aspects of the gods they are simply aspects of nature that we interact with um i know some people would say you know no they're more metaphysical beings and then some would say no they're like completely real beings and that would you know obviously that's more of the snorry route as well as that you know he says they were real beings that we just tell stories of but I would find that the real world talk of talking about deities is we encounter their presences and their signs out there. And I, I you know, the, the angle I usually come from is where did these stories come from? You know, did they actually see these beings or did they encounter aspects that they eventually gave names? Um, but with that thought of encountering aspects that gave them names, what did people, when they saw a wolf, what made them think that was Odin? And what, when they saw a raven, what made them think that was Odin as well? Um, you know, you could do this for each of the deities, but definitely since we have a lot of Odin followers in here, um, we can talk about like, what makes a wolf like Odin? That, that was something that I very early on was a lot of, 
a big question I had basically was why, like, why do we associate these animals with this God or goddess, or even just like, where did these stories come from? Like the prime example I can think of is, I think is Ike Thurnier and he's, you know, supposed to be sitting on top of Valhalla or yeah, he's supposed to be sitting on top of Valhalla and, you know, rivers are supposed to come from his, um, his uh, antlers and even things like, I'm probably going to butcher Audhumla, the you know primordial cow and everything. Like, where where did that come from? Like, what kind of train of thought led to? Oh, it's this you know this cow who licked Ymir from the ice. Like, what did you know our ancestors see that kind of made a connection with them in in something like that? And then you know bringing it to Odin. I think it was in. A book I read, I think it was Matthias Norvig, his uh, book about Ossetru, where he was talking about Odin being, you know, primarily the god of the dead, like he's very much associated with death and, you know, the gallows and things like that. And I think he brought it, he made a point of saying that the color that we associate with Odin, which is like this kind of dark midnight blue sort of color, uh, you see a lot in I don't know if specifically it was people who have been hanged, but just in corpses in general, they kind of take on that kind of blue color to them. And so that's kind of where we associate it. That's at least what he was theorizing is that the colors of the corpses is what we also associate with Odin. And then with the wolves and ravens, it's kind of a benef beneficial relationship between the two where, you know, in the wild, they'll basically help each other where, you know, if someone is hung up in a tree, you know, ravens can peck that body down basically, and then wolves will come and vice versa, where they help each other, where they can't get to the same meaty bits, I guess. Yeah, that's actually, that's a, a really good way of looking at it. Because um, I've actually, personally, I haven't really thought about that too, too much as far as where we get some of these associations from. I've kind of always just, for the most part, accepted it. Um, I've thought about it a little bit, but I mean, yeah, even looking at, say, like Freya and cats, you know, she has a chariot that's pulled by two cats, you know, like where did the ancestors come up with that idea where, you know, when we think of cats, we think of like the little furball that's in front of Jacob right now, um, you know, that like a, a typical house cat, you just don't necessarily see as an animal capable of pulling a chariot, you know, especially with a, a person on it. But then I guess, you know, in, in uh, you know, like primarily like Scandinavia or just places that have mountains and trees and dense forests and stuff like that, like you, you'll have things like bobcats and lynx. So whenever, um, you know, looking at Freya's cats, I think, you know, a bobcat or a lynx or something like that, where it's a much larger animal. Still don't think it would be capable of pulling, you know, a chariot, but it, it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting and kind of fun to think about, like, where did they get this idea from, or where, how did they start associating these, you know, these, yeah, these, these animals with these particular deities? I guess I've never really thought about it too much until, you know, we just brought up that question, and now I'm going to probably sit here all day thinking about it. <laughs> well, I mean, I, yeah, the gallows is a really good, you know, uh, thing for Odin. Um, but like with Freya again, like, you know, kind of like I talked about, like the honeybees, when I had my first big Freya experience, um, you know, I saw a lot of really interesting, like Freya, like things like a hawk, it's majestic, it's beautiful, but it's also a predator. I saw honeybees, like they produce something so, you know, so sweet and so necessary, um, you know, and they, you know, pollinate flowers. So they deal with something beautiful, but they also can sting. And that's what many people look at as the sting of a bee. Um, but they also have a queen bee, you know, that's the whole aspect of it as well. But what is associated with her is cats. And I think cats, you know, like the one purring at my lap right now, um, there are, you know, adorable fluffy creatures. And even looking at like a, a bobcat, you're like, oh, it's a bobcat. Like, no, that bobcat, like have you, if you watched a cat, even a domesticated cat kill things, like they are evil. I mean, they love to play with things until they die. And so like, you know, looking at something like a cat as, you know, especially in farms and things like that, having them around to eat mice, uh, and other, you know, pests, you know, I think there is a connection there with connecting to something that is both beautiful and a predator at the same time. I would say bringing it back to Freya and her cats, um, something that, you know, since we've been talking about animals and how they, basically what they represent in this faith and everything and how they help us 
basically in our daily lives, um, a big thing for me was, so when I was growing up, I was like primarily a dog person. Like I grew up with dogs and no cats or anything like that. And then, then in the past, like two years or so, um, I, you know, I got, I live with people who had cats and I finally kind of came around to them and now I'm much more of a cat person, but, um, there was this one cat who, you know, he was my best friend. He actually ended up passing, I think two years ago or something. And in the past few months, I was reading this book that I think it was, um, it was by Diana L. Paxson, who she did taking up the runes, but it was this book about, I think, I think the book was about Odin, but for, it was just talking about basically that like the animals and the gods and things like that but someone had mentioned this um dream that they had where this cat that they had who recently passed they had this dream where they saw that cat with this like kind of tall woman who was very regal who had this like fierceness about her and she was like kind of putting up like some sort of decoration around her house and that person's cat was there and you know rubbing up against her and she was petting it and that person took it to mean that that was Freya and she was taking care of his cat. And so when I read that and I had thought about my cat who I was very close with who had passed away, that really helped me like almost put at ease that and was like, oh, well, he's, he's with Freya now, like she's taking care of him sort of thing. And it's even before having this faith, I always kind of, any, any animals that I've had to, you know, that have passed on, I've always had this idea that they're, not just you know they're they're out there somewhere they're you know exploring the world they're still spirits but i think like i said knowing that a cat that i loved very dearly that he is with freya now and she's taking care of him and things like that was a very resounding and just comforting sort of thought that i had that's actually yeah that's actually something very kind of you know heartwarming to think about and because you know we don't necessarily have a a a realm or a place that you know our you know our domesticated pets or our animals necessarily go to at least not that I've come across um, I could be mistaken but yeah I mean you you hear things like the rainbow bridge as far as you know animals crossing over the other side that's basically what most people go off of um, but it, it is kind of it is nice to think about you know certain deities that are associated with certain animals when they potentially pass on like that's who they go to. Um, to be essentially taken care of in a way uh, and at the same time like that kind of is looking at it at a more spiritual aspect too um, I, I could honestly see like coming like with with Felia and stuff like that I could potentially see say if you had you know a family like I have two dogs right um, you know they're one of them is relatively young he's almost two years old the other one's almost five um, you know, say if I was to have, if I was to have children right now, uh, you know, they would essentially grow up with both of them for a good portion of their lives. Um, and to say when that, you know, that animal was to pass on, Filgia are essentially, some people, you know, say that it's, you know, either a, an ancestor taken, you know, uh, an animal form, or they can take animal form, or they are passed down from ancestor to ancestor. An interesting thought that just kind of crossed my mind was, Say if you have like a, a, a pet, right, that you've grown up with for a good portion of your life, they pass on. What if, you know, in a sense, that animal that you grew up with and spent so much time with potentially, you know, hangs around as a as a spirit or something like that and essentially becomes like a field gift for, say, one of your children? It's just an interesting thought that kind of crossed my mind. I feel like, you know, Sherd can attest to this a little bit, but I feel like one of the most asked questions as a kid in church is what happens to my pets when they die? Does my, does my dog go to heaven? Does my cat go to heaven? Because uh, when I get there, is there, you know, 32 goldfish all named Batman? Real story. Um, <laughs> and so like, uh, you know, I guess that could be a same concept. I'm sure, you know, our children will ask is, you know, with, you know, grazing, you know, being raised in a pagan household is what happens to our pets when they die. Um, and kind of like uh, the way I see it, at least, you know, like I mentioned at the very beginning is, um, you know, when we die, whatever makes us, us is no longer there. And that's always been my experience with death. Um, even, you know, as a close family member, when I, I witnessed my first like close death to my family, you know, I actually felt a lot better when I saw the body because I realized, oh, they're not in there anymore. They went somewhere else. And, you know, you very clearly can tell the difference between a body and something that is living. Um, and so, 
you know, knowing that so everything goes somewhere. We don't really quite know the answer. Um, you know, the only thing I would say, you know, if I was thinking about talking to it like a child, you know, thinking about like Philgia, you know, I don't know, I don't know if it's necessarily the best practice to be like, well, maybe one day there'll be your Philgia or something like that, you know, because then maybe it could just become wishful thinking. Um, at least in my training with Philgia, um, as some of you may know, I have recently found my Philgia. It's a turkey named William. Um, and it's one of those things, what, at least in the training that I received and was told is that you can't force it. You have to allow it to be, be what it is. And I, I, I fear that if we, you know, we say things like, um, you know, not that I'm not saying it's not a beautiful idea, but if we say things like, you know, our past pets are, you know, could become our Philgia or our children's Philgia, you know, you, you end up forcing it. And then you're like, I want it to be my cat. I want it to be my dog. Um, and it's like, that's a beautiful thought, but that's not actually going to lead you to what should actually be your Philgia. Um, not, you know, again, this is one of those more complicated things in Norse paganism where we don't have a book uh, written by an ancestor a thousand years ago that said, how to find your Philgia, a 10-step guide, doesn't exist. In fact, I don't even believe the poetic, the poetic Edda or the prose Edda even mentioned Philgia. Uh, it's all from, you know, secondary sources. Um, so it's one of those things where it's like, I could be wrong. I could be right. I could be a thousand different ways wrong. I don't know. Um, but to me, it definitely seems like, you know, you just kind of have to let your Philgia happen. Could be a pet, could be, but you can't, you can't necessarily force that experience. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. It is definitely like, yeah, looking at it that way. Yeah. That's a very good point. Trust me. It I wanted my Philgia to be a bear and I got a freaking turkey. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, yeah. It was, you know, this is an interesting thought. Cause yeah, I agree with that. You know, it's, I mean, it's something that we've talked about before of not, you know, forcing things and let it come to you, especially when it comes to, say, a, a spirit animal guide, like a field gear or something like that, is, yeah, you're, you, yeah, like you said, everybody wants necessarily like a bear or a wolf or a hawk, an eagle, you know, all these things that scream, you know, just awesome and, and power and are just flat out just badass. Um, and yeah, you, in reality, that's not always the case, you know, like, you have your turkey william you know like which it whatever you know like that's just how the dice rolled oh he's getting the turkey feathers yeah so i was gonna say he's going to get the stuff now you're gonna <laughs> see william come out yeah and i mean for like me personally like i have a fox which is you know uh is is not necessarily oh, something that a lot of people that yeah that not a lot of people would i think associate as something that they would necessarily want so much but yeah he just came to me so yeah I, I definitely agree with that so moving into philgia a little bit um as much as we can i mean you know baker you asking you know how i found mine and it's what like something that's really stuck with me i said in a recent video i believe it was uh five um ways to connect to the old gods um i talk about being honest with your experiences and i feel like that it is a discipline uh, that it takes a long time to learn um, that you can't force things um, and that when something does happen, you just need to be honest with yourself. And, and I mean, that's really the only way. Um, and obviously be honest with your experiences when you share them with others. You know, if you go around and I, let's say I found out that my turkey was an affiliate and I found out that I had a freaking turkey as a affiliate and I was so upset about it. And I, I met with a bunch of people and they were, uh, you know, and few of them were new, few were old and everyone was talking about their Philgias. And all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, my Philgia was a bear. It was dope. Like, yeah, I met him, you know, he was there. His name was, uh, you know, Bjorn. It was really cool. You know, all of a sudden I'm not being honest with myself and now I'm not being honest with my community because now it's also going to spread that lie to people, you know, like, especially, I mean, shoot, you know, look at me as, you know, being the, you know, the wisdom of Odin, you know, making videos. If I told everyone mine's a bear, it's a wolf, it's a raven you know it's like no i think it makes it a lot more makes a lot more sense when i'm like no it's a turkey because <laughs> then it's like you know i'm being honest with you <laughs> um so yeah being honest with your experience and so we could probably do like i'm very cautious obviously talking about these things because i never want to give anyone the wrong idea because i barely know what i'm talking about in this stuff but it seems like no one really knows what we're talking about but in order to find your philia, what I've been told um, and I've been shown how to do by other people that have found it is that it really requires a really deep meditation or trance, um, or they can come to you in a dream. Uh, but if you want to find it, you have to go seek it out. And then that requires trance work and meditation, um, really clearing your mind, you know, um, just uh, softening your eyes as I've been reading in my, uh, my Celtic uh, shamanism book, which has been really nice. Um, is just, you know, taking a day, taking a week, 
and just really detoxing yourself in the modern world, um, doing some rituals and, you know, doing some drum work um, and, and allowing to the forces of nature to come to you naturally. And that is where you're going to find your philgia. Um, it's not going to be right away. It's not going to be in the first week. It might not even be in the first month, might not even be in the first year, um, but it is a discipline and you have to, uh, but once you find them and you like mine was seriously, like I was laying there in a meditative trance and you know just had incense going candles you know i was just laying down and allowed myself to drift away to somewhere else and within that within that self-vision i looked to my left and there was a turkey and i was like are you my philia like i literally said it out loud and it just started walking into the woods in this vision dream i was like i guess i gotta follow this turkey now <laughs> um so yes, that is the introduction to how I met my field yeah. <laughs> It took a long time. Yeah, I mean, like you were saying, like forcing it or like lying about it is definitely, yeah, you're not only are you lying to yourself, but you're potentially lying to like the community and stuff like that. And yeah, it definitely takes time. Because I was always very much like, oh, mine has to be a wolf because I've always had this deep connection with wolves or I've always had you know, fascination with wolves as a kid. I mean, honestly, what child hasn't had, you know, some sort of fascination or just sense of awe and wonderment to wolves and yeah I, it, it took I had a long time to figure out that mine was even a fox and it was just because I had you know when I started looking at it it was more of like foxes kept creeping up in whether it was like dreams or visions or just randomly like I would have thoughts of a fox like pop into my head and I was like okay this is this is something you know this, this has to be something that I should probably look into and yeah, it, it, it took a long time to finally like accept and like fully realize that that is what it is. Um, and it was actually pretty funny. It wasn't until your, that live stream that you did, Jacob, when you talked about William and I was just like, I've, I've been working with my field for in about six months, maybe a little more than that. And I had never thought to ask for its name. Never even thought of it. I was just, I knew that's who it was when it would pop up because it had a very distinct, you know, presence. And yeah, it wasn't until after that live stream, I was just like, wow, I've never actually like thought about asking for a name. And it took about a, about a solid week of actually trying to work with it to get a name. And I finally did. And it was just, it was one of those things like, oh, okay, like I'm getting a better connection with this animal. And now you are. Jacob has ascended to turkeyhood. Okay. I was getting ready to say that. That's like just for everybody at home. Jacob has become the turkey. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know where he went. It's just full turkey right now. Gobble, gobble, motherfucker. <laughs> 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 oh my god. Yeah, it, yeah, it definitely takes time. It one hundred percent takes time. And yeah, like in my experience, I never, you know, I didn't, I wasn't fortunate enough to get a name right out of the gate because I just never thought of it. And it was, it was more of a, a sense of, I didn't think I was ready to find out what his name was until, you know, a certain point in my practice. But yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those things I'm like, take your time with it because you kind of have to. Well, that's the one thing I've learned like throughout my whole process with this faith is that you can't, you can't force things. You can't control how quickly they go. It's like, you know, the first gathering last year. I didn't go there intending to uh, take Odin as my patron that night, but it just kind of happened, you know. I was giving, I was cutting open that thing of, uh, of salmon to give to him and I cut my hand wide open, there was blood all over it. And then there was a whole another thing that I've talked about probably two or three times on this uh, podcast uh, that took me, that led me to figuring out that that's what I did. But, you know, some things just happen. They, you know, you can't force them. And then there's other things where I've tried like, I've tried uh, trying to connect to uh, spirit animals and things like that. And every time I try to do it, I just keep feeling like I'm told it's not time yet. You need to wait, you know, you know, take your time with it. Don't rush this. And well, you so know, I just wait. We, we have to look at the fact that, you know, I'm assuming Austin, you're in your twenties as well. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. We're, we're all in our twenties here. Like, you know, in theory and practice and what we want is that this is our religion. This is our faith, our spirituality for the rest of our lives. Um, and even if we have like really low life expectancy, we still got like double the life left. Like, I don't know about you, but that sounds tiring. I don't like 70 years old. That's three times what I've already lived. Gosh. Ugh. Uh, but you know, that's a lifelong discipline. And so why would you want to rush everything off the get go? I think I talked about it in, Oh, I think it was Oaks and Oaths podcast. Um, I was talking about how, like, when I played World of Warcraft, 
I wanted to like always roll new characters. Like I, I never wanted to play them past a certain point. I got to like level 20 and I was like, eh, I'm bored because that's when the real work begins. And, you know, after a certain point in paganism, the real work begins. And it's not like it's a chore. It's just things aren't going to come to you as fast as they used to. And you can't really force things. And the more you try to force things, the more you're not going to enjoy it. Um, and so, you know, before long, you know, all the crazy, wonderful experiences you were getting at first, tend to slow down, um, but it doesn't make each moment less special. It just makes it less explosive. Um, and so I, what I find a lot in the community is that people lose that, that, you know, I'm actually thinking, oh, we have another cat on the podcast. Nice. Um, but I think a lot of people, um, they freak out when they lose that, that instantaneous rush. I think I'm actually going to make a video called like the pagan honeymoon phase. Um, because it's, it is a real thing uh, that, you know, I experienced that a lot of people, other people have experienced is, you know, they haven't really had a deep spiritual connection. Um, and so when they first get it, they're so excited and then they lose it and they start scrambling. Okay. Maybe I need to master the runes. Okay. That's not really giving me the same rush. It's almost like a druggie. They're just like, well, I guess I got to try heroin now. So I'm going to find my Philgia. <laughs> and, you know, and eventually they burn out or, you know, you know, a lot of people, do burn out, but a lot of people also find the way and think, oh, I need to, you know, I need to take my time. Um, so yeah, definitely Philgia. That is, this has been your PSA about taking time and uh, Philgia. Let's see here. So one thing um, that we haven't talked about yet is really animals as a sign now. Um, and I know we've kind of touched on this before when it comes to um, like ravens and crows and things like that. Um, but, you know, they're not the only animal out there. And I know it's one of the ones that people attach to right away. But what other signs have you guys seen outside of the standard crows and ravens and big blackbirds? Oh, well, like I've said a lot. I mean, deer, stag, like those are always really uh, prominent for me. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't tell exactly if it's more of an ancestral connection or what exactly it is. But there's just some, there's something that just calls back like inside my chest. Um, whenever I see them, especially if I just see like a lone buck standing there, just something about it. Um, and then, I, like I was saying earlier, with the uh, with the cardinals, which is not so much like a thing from the gods, um, but I, I connect those to my ancestors. Um, one of the only other animals I can really think to connect to the gods would be um, I have a thing with morning doves, um, and I never saw them around in the, in the area that I live in until after I, I got a relationship with Yord, and it just seemed like they always showed up. And anytime I gave an offer to them, they'd always be there. Like the next morning, there'd be two of them. I would say more recently for me, it was actually, I mean, I've had a couple different experiences throughout. Um, I mean, the one big experience that I had as far as signs that I would say were potentially connected to a, a god or a goddess was the one time Jacob texted me and said, hey, you need to go to this place. And so it looked like the canyons that I frequent. And I came within it was kind of a similar story to you Austin I came very close to a doe and she didn't care that I was you know approaching her even coming close to her and I saw her and she saw me about 20 yards out and I was able to close that distance and I feel like if I really wanted to I probably could have touched her I was probably about eight ten feet away from her in the end and she didn't pay me any mind um you know and then more recently, I mean, we talked about it on the last episode as far as like traveling and wandering, the trip that I just took. On my way back, uh, I saw more predator birds than I have ever seen in my life in the 12 hour drive that I took from the Ozark, the Ozark uh, woods and everything to back to where I'm at, New Mexico. And I mean, it ranged from small falcons to I saw a massive massive eagle that I thought was a dog like sitting in a field like I was a good distance away and I was like oh dog in the field hmm I wonder what it's doing and it, it lifted its head up and that's why I could clearly see that it was a beak and it flapped its wings I mean this thing was massive and then you know I saw a couple of hawks I saw one I was going through some um like road construction and there's just a hawk just sitting on the hill of an uh, of an overpass and it was just sitting there chest out just hanging out and it was just such a strange experience because I had never seen that many birds of prey of various kinds you know that consistently it was probably about every half an hour to an hour of that drive that I would see something and it just really 
it kind of threw me off because I was like, okay, this is this is not something that I normally see on a regular basis. And I, like I said, I'm pretty sure I've seen in that 12 hour distance, I saw more, more birds of prey than I have probably in my entire life collectively or about the same. And I, don't know, I mean, growing up in Minnesota, you see things like bald eagles and, and hawks and falcons on a, relatively regularly. But yeah, it was, I don't know, that was probably my most recent experience right there. This is, it was insane. I was going to say an animal that I've always been, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's my failure or anything like that, that I at least know of. I haven't really delved too much into that um, yet. But an animal that I've always, I would say, had a connection with and I've always really favored is raccoons. Um, and so, so I grew up in Arizona and a lot of the animals that you see there, a lot of wild animals are very like, I would say dangerous. You get a lot of snakes and a lot of scorpions, coyotes and javelina. And so, uh, you know, some vultures, not really a whole lot, but you'd see them occasionally. Um, and then I moved, I'm in Colorado right now. And for many reasons, it's, I love living here. You know, one of which is just, it's a lot more greener and you got a lot more nature and, you know, the mountains are right there. You can see in the distance. Um, but living here, I've seen so many, you know, raccoons all over the place. And I think originally I was tied to it when I was in Arizona because it was, I wouldn't say it was a reputation, but I didn't, I wasn't very health conscious. So I, I always said I'd eat a lot of trash, just trash foods and things like that. And then, you know, I kind of grew up and changed things and kind of how I see it now is that raccoons are also very, they're, they're kind of survivors. They don't need a whole lot. They can kind of live off anything. It's more or less how I see it. So I've turned it from being, you know, being this trash animal into something that is pretty resilient, I would say. Yeah, raccoons I'll give to you because I've seen some pretty darn cute raccoons, but you could also argue that cockroaches are survivalist and uh, I ain't, I ain't uh, holding up a cockroach is a very high regard. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. That's, I hope no one has a fill gift. That's a cockroach. That would be the like, worst, honestly. That, like, you might know, like, be the, that might be the worst one. In terms or like of a, what, like, what does it sound like say to you that if it's like a dung beetle? Like, you know, yeah, you're, like, you're like in the spirit realm, you look over and there's just like a dung beetle, like rolling poo. And you're like, well, my, my life is over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, let me look for the deep, uh, deep meaning of the dung beetle. Of rolling crap God around all day. <laughs> um, well, gentlemen, we're actually getting pretty close to the end of this podcast. So um, Austin, I wanted to give you some time here to plug yourself anywhere you like you know anywhere people can find it and they want to want to talk to you about elk or something like that so uh this is your time where can people find you at uh so i'm on instagram just often wondering all lowercase one word um right now it's just regular kind of my daily day like kind of in contact i would say i'm not now i'm not delving into anything too i would say special um but yeah it's just kind of my daily life that's really really about where people can find me um I'm located in Colorado. If anyone wants to message me on Instagram and, you know, hopefully do meetups once the, you know, world gets a little less crazy. I'd love to, you know, gathering at some point, but. Awesome. No, first off, uh, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. You're actually the perfect kind of guest that we like to have. I mean, we've kind of had some guests with a little bit more prominence on here, but ultimately we created the folk podcast to interview just everyday people that, so they can share their stories. Um, so thank you so much for being on the show and thank you for sharing your story with everybody. Yeah, of course. Thank you for tuning in to episode 29 of the Folk Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. Hope you've learned a thing or two. And I hope you realize how little we know about this faith. But you know what? We just got to be honest with ourselves and share our experiences. And it's a pretty darn good time. But if you want to share your experiences on the Folk Podcast, please email thefolkpodcast at gmail.com, all lowercase. Or if you have any topics you would like to discuss, please email us there as well. But otherwise, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you once again, Austin. And Folk, until the hall. Skull. 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 I'll, I'll totally just edit that right on top. I totally won't edit. I know how you will. I know. Exactly <laughs> <what you're saying>. <laughs> <laughs>